and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It happened today in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem mayor declared that the words of the prophets are happening. That is a direct quote. Moshe Leon, mayor of Jerusalem told the Jerusalem Conference in New York City about the city's phenomenal success. Jerusalem has never had so many economic accelerators for all the sectors of the city, with new academic buildings being built in the east or the west that makes up the internal capital of Israel. Jerusalem is the capital of the Jewish people, he said, and I'd say the capital of the world. Jerusalem has never had so many international delegations and conferences, just like in the days of Solomon, he wrote. We know that there are a lot of people that deny the Jewish people's connection to Jerusalem. They won't even believe the evidence that we find every day that tells the story of the kings of Israel. Jerusalem is not a matter of debate. It is a fact. Well, yes, it is. And he was promoting all of those great and wonderful things taking place in Israel. But then a couple of people commented, because you're speaking so beautifully about our great Jewish prophets, what do you think they would say about a mayor of Jerusalem who allows gay pride parades? Another wrote the words of the prophets, that chaos and evil will reign in the last days, with homosexuals parading with pride in the streets of Jerusalem? Hmm. Interestingly, you see, viewpoint does determine destiny of biblical prophecy and forget to look at other things. But today on Viewpoint, we're hoping to look at a bigger picture with our special guest who will be joining us in just a few moments. Today, the Jerusalem Post revealed another important thing, religious leaders discussing faith, peace in Jerusalem. Yesterday, spiritual leaders and other representatives and lay leaders of different faiths gathered at Jerusalem's David Citadel Hotel to share their views and to reaffirm their belief that despite the obstacles, peace is possible. As the prophets once said, they will cry, peace, peace, but there will be no peace. But The event was an offshoot of the Congress of World and Traditional Religions, first held in 2003 in Kazakhstan, believe it or not. The Congress is held every three years with increasingly large attendance. Every speaker at the Congress continued along a common thread strung with words such as dialogue, understanding, harmony, fraternity, human values, social justice, moderation, tolerance, and peace. Christian, Muslim, Druze, and Baha'i speakers were careful to leave out politics from their remarks. Jewish leaders leaders were not as cautious. For instance, Rabbi Yitzhak Elfant, who is chief rabbi of Demona, after talking about what King David the psalmist wrote about peace, moved fast forward to present the time and said, We must understand that the Lord promised this land to the Jewish people. Once we all accept that, we could live it together in peace. True peace, he said, will bring true partnership. Well, that's just in the last 24 hours, friends. And today on Viewpoint, we move forward with the current presentation of God's eternal viewpoint with 
the book of our special guest today, Jesus, the Jews, and the End of the Age, what the Bible really predicts about the end times. Dr. Brock Hollett joining us. Brock, it's good to have you on the program, my friend. Thank you so much for having me, Chuck. Well, I'll tell you, uh, when you see these things happening right before our eyes, this is current to the max. This is this is hyper-relevance, isn't it? Almost on a daily basis, we're seeing things in the news that are either echoing something we would expect in biblical prophecy or directly in fulfillment of it. Back in the late 1980s, when I was still practicing law in California, I opened a file in my file cabinet called Prophecy in the Making. And my, my secretary was well aware of this, and what I found is that about once every two, three, four, maybe five weeks, I was able to glean some article somewhere that I thought was relevant to the to that particular subject. Today, it pours in so quickly that I can't even maintain files because it's too overwhelming. It's just too overwhelming. So you have to believe that since 1988... Uh, something dramatic has taken place in our world that is uh, pouring out uh, issues related to the fulfillment of uh, Jesus' words, the apostles' words, the prophets' words, uh, with such overwhelming significance that it should cause every professing Christian believer to take notice, don't you think? I think things have changed dramatically and exponentially. And, you know, I mean, even today, uh, we just were chatting right before the broadcast, and you were pointing out that things were happening even since I started work this morning that I was unaware of that echo, you know, the fulfillment of what we'd expect with prophecy. Yeah, and it's not over. I still have other things that I'm going to reveal in the second half of the program here that have just come out in the last day. So, uh, yes, we are right on the cusp of the things that the ancient prophets and the apostles, including Christ himself, uh, discussed with us, uh, talked about, whether it be in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, whether it be in Luke uh, chapter 17 or 21, whether it be in Thessalonians with the Apostle Paul, whether it be in the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. They're all coming together. It's as if there is a surging uh, millstrom of, uh, of waters coming into a tremendous surge of energy toward the second coming, I think. Yes. Okay. Well, friends, again, we're talking with Dr. Brock Hollett. Uh, you tell me that you have uh, four daughters uh, ranging from six to, what is it, 20? To 20. Six yes. to 20. Now, this is an amazing time in which to raise uh, four children of those ages. Uh, How are you doing to uh, prepare them uh, without fear, but in tremendous faith? Because uh, the, the issues of fear and faith as it relates to biblical prophecy go hand in hand, don't they? That's such a good observation. I I agree. I mean, it's something that I think as parents, Christian parents, you know, that's something that's there's a there's definitely a temptation to fall into fear constantly because of so Mm -hmm. much that we're bombarded with in the media and with the events that we're seeing unfold in the world and in our school systems. Gee whiz. Sure. But, you know, I think when Jesus says fear not and that that is such a 
um, a strong biblical command that we see on so many pages of Scripture. You know, how can we not fear? Well, you know, having trust in Christ, I mean, it sounds simplistic, but that's really it. It's a surrender to the will of Christ and following His commands. And when it comes to parenting, I mean, this is no less important. You know, Christ is not interested in just what we do on a Sunday morning, um, to use the old cliche, but, you know, every part of our life, He's interested in what we uh, what we do with our families and what we do mm-hmm. with our time and our resources and all these type of things. So for parenting, you know, I think part of it is, you know, um, having giving the kids enough freedom to make uh, choices and to validate their choices and yet to protect them and to only give them, you know, what they can handle for the time and, um, you know, to, to sort of be that, um, that person that right. helps them see things before, you know, to prepare them for adulthood. Exactly. So, A spiritual yeah. adulthood at that. Friends, we're talking with Dr. Brock. Uh, Holland uh, regarding his book Jesus the Jews and the End of the Age when we make that book available to you after the break. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint, my friends. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer's conversation is always with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And please be advised that the God of Israel does nothing without first revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. That's what the prophet Amos told us. The major events of history, at least those that pertain to the redemption, are foretold by his prophets. And once the Lord's people come to understand these, then they become revealed secrets. The mysteries which the prophets revealed to the nation of Israel have become the inheritance of all God's elect, writes our guest today, those who trust in the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Indeed, he is right. He said there are many reasons for studying Bible prophecy. Jesus expects his people to discern the times in which we live, contrary to a lot of people who think, well, people can just ignore uh, the times, one prophet, one uh, pastor said, I don't uh, teach my people about the end times or Christ's coming because I don't want them to be afraid. I just want them to love Jesus. Well, he's preparing them essentially in a child abuse situation to where they will be totally and radically unprepared for the events that are coming. So we don't want you to be in that position. Jesus didn't want you to be in that position. Neither did the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, or any of the prophets. Christ has commanded us to pay attention to the prophecies of Scripture. He warned, but take heed, see, I have told you all things beforehand. The message of the holy prophets and apostles encourage, protect, equip, and warn Christians. Third, prophecy is a powerful resource for engendering faith. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would teach us all things, and he told us about future events so that he would, we would believe when those events were fulfilled. Again, God reveals his divine actions to us as evidence of our friendship with him. Jesus made clear, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And again, Christians are stewards of the mysteries of God. 
We will receive special blessings if we read, understand, and obey the scriptures, the prophecy of the scriptures. Then prophecy is so important and precious that the ancient prophets and even the angels in heaven have longed to understand it. And yet you and I, friends, are increasingly given that opportunity. So as we eagerly await the second coming of Christ, our guest today and I invite you to diligently study the prophecies of Scripture, to pray for understanding, and in so doing, we will heed the instruction of our Lord that he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's a small excerpt from the opening chapter of our guest book, uh, Dr. Brock Hollett, Jews, or Jesus the Jews and the End of the Age. The Bible, what the Bible predicts about the end times. And uh, friends, this is one of the best books that I have read on this subject, alongside mine, of course, but this is one of the best books that I have read on this subject. And we've done many, many interviews, as you know, uh, of leading voices across the country and around the world. But I want to make this hardbound book available to you. It's brand new. Uh, $23, excuse me, $26 will put this brand new hardback book in your hands, and I don't believe you will be disappointed. If I was not disappointed in opening the book and beginning to read it, I don't think you will be either. So it's on our website, saveus.org, Jesus, the Jews, and the End of the Age. On our website, saveus.org, give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Okay. Now, I would like to know, uh, a lot of people ask me when they're interviewing me concerning my own books, Brock, uh, what is it that specifically, if anything, prompted you uh, to write this particular book? I think part of it is, you know, Bible prophecy, especially as it relates to the end times, has always been a fascination of mine. Mm-hmm. And the more I've grown in my relationship with the Lord, there's been a, um, I've seen more and more the importance of how that buttresses the gospel. You know, the gospel is not a treatise on end times, but the Bible is definitely a book that is a meta-narrative. It talks about the beginning Mm -hmm. and the end and everything in between, right? There you go. Yeah, so we need to understand where we've been and where we're going. And so the gospel really is an eschatological um, gospel in, in the sense that um, we have to understand where our hope lies, where where we're heading, where Christ is taking us, so that we can appropriate, you know, where wh- how we're to live now. And so I think it has a lot of relevance. And and so, you know, wanting to uh, wanting to share with with really anybody and everybody, you know, what God has for His people, for the church, for um, for His world, and uh, has been just a just a burden of mine and a and a pleasure of mine. And so. You know, being able to to go and and 
explore what the Bible says from beginning to end on that subject has been a passion. And putting it in one place where it's systematic and it's um, topical and where, you know, it um, it doesn't take a, a academic or a, a seminary professor to explain, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was a burden of mine. And so to make it clear on tables, to make it plain on tables, you know. Well, you've done that. And uh, what's, what's what I find interesting is that you're a father. Uh, you have four four kids, uh, ages six to twenty, and uh, God is a father. And as a father, uh, fathers, I, I think from God's perspective, fathers are supposed to train up their children. They're supposed to provide them with leadership, guidance, all the information that is necessary, and the instruction in righteousness to prepare them for the events that life will throw at them. So if a father or a mother uh, does not do that with regard to the father's express information and even commands concerning preparing our children, preparing, in fact, we're all called God's God's children if we're following him. Uh, So if we renege on that responsibility as parents, as grandparents, and even as pastors, uh, it's to me, it's kind of a, a form of child abuse. Indeed, you can't fool old dogs and young kids, right? And children know. <laughs> you know, when they spend time with us every day, uh, you can teach them, you can, you can preach at them, but they see what you do. They see whether or not you open your Bible. They see whether or not you take them to church. They see whether or not you're on your knees crying out to the Lord when you lose a loved one or when, when you, they see whether or not you give, you're willing to, to loan your car or, or give, give uh, some money to someone when they're in need. They see that, and mm-hmm. and it's just you know it, it 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 oozes out like by osmosis. So part of the leadership and the teaching is to set the example by doing it ourselves, by submitting to our Father in heaven, and letting them see that. And, well, and that's true. That. That's true. But then we also have the situation where they increasingly are seeing what's the dynamics of what is happening in our world, and if we cannot uh, provide direction and information for them to help them to stand in the evil day and having it all to stand, uh, we're failing, I think, yes. as parents and in a parental role. Uh, God saw fit to provide this information for us, so why should we not provide it to others? Yeah, we have to, right? And so, you know, like in our family, we have a devotion that we do um, most days at supper time. It just, you know, it doesn't really matter when you do it as long mm-hmm. as you do do it. And it doesn't have to be fancy. It could just be, you know, a few scriptures and pray together. Um, we should be praying at mealtime mm-hmm. and in the mornings and at nighttime before bed with our right. children. And, uh, and of course, in church, they need to have um, other people who do community with them so that they see what the church is supposed to be like. Well, it sounds like you uh, follow a similar pattern to what uh, our family did for many, many years uh, as we were raising up uh, our three daughters. Now, in the your book, you talk about a prophetic puzzle. And indeed, uh, my wife likes to do jigsaw puzzles. She just loves to do that as a just a sidekick, and uh, the Bible is very much like that, particularly biblical prophecy. And uh, oftentimes as you're putting a puzzle together, you you can look at the big picture on the front of the box, and it looks great, it looks beautiful, but how to get those pieces in there 
so that they begin to take the shape of what the picture is on the front of the box. That's a whole different ball game, and it takes a great deal of patience and working with those pieces, doesn't it? It does. And so, you know, pouring over the scripture for years and, you know, I, I emphasize in chapter two, you know, to really, really look at when you look at the big picture of scripture, it's allowing the main and plain things to help educate the difficult things that you read in the text, mm-hmm. not the other way around. You know what I mean? And letting Scripture interpret Scripture, and um, that's very important. And also to not have the arrogance that we think that we can figure it all out when we don't need help, that we um, – that's not to say that we rely heavily on commentaries or what our pastors say or something like that, but we need, we need – we certainly need to use the wisdom of what God has said throughout His people, throughout the generations – as a guide, you know, for guardrails and so forth to exactly. help us stay in that interpretive tradition. We do. And uh, so we can't just take what somebody else says as gospel truth. Uh, we can take it. We can listen to it. We can absorb it. Uh, and then we can go to the scriptures and should and see, okay, as good Bereans, what do the scriptures really say? Is what I'm hearing consistent with what God has said from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, or is it just an expression of one particular part, or is it even driven primarily by what I would like to see happen rather than what the Bible actually says? So we have a a tremendous uh, challenge uh, in order to honestly and with integrity interpret these prophetic puzzles, don't we? We do. And while we have one divine author of Scripture, we have a myriad of human authors. And, you know, they come from different backgrounds, different time periods, and so on and so forth. And so when we when we look at, um, you know, the Scripture at large, we really need to make sure that we're not approaching it with, in an academic way, that is devoid mm. of a true spiritual heart for Christ right. that approaches the Scripture, not only in the humility that we don't have it all figured out, but we are in need, you know, we are beggars before a very generous king, but also, um, you know, also that we we live a life of prayer and this, a servant's heart that we're following Christ's commands, because, you know, there are many enigmas and paradoxes and difficult texts in Scripture, you know, uh, apparent, not true contradictions, but things that appear to be contradictory mm-hmm. that are indeed not. And the only way to really man- maneuver around, um, you know, those um, trappings, you know, because God is hiding things from from uh, principalities and powers in heavenly places. You know, mm-hmm. he's hiding things uh, until the church is ready. He's hiding things from, um, you know, for his own glory's sake. And so, right. but it is it is the glory of kings to, to find out a matter. So we really need to not approach the scripture in a purely academic sense because we're going to step on those landmines. You I'm know, so really glad to hear you yeah. say that, Brock. Because that tends to be the the way in which most speak. Uh, it's more informational, it's more intellectual, but the purpose is to keep the main thing the main thing. What is God's greater purpose? And it's about transformation, not information. The information has to serve God's purpose for transformation. But that uh, brings up uh, the classic uh, conundrum of uh, Daniel's vision and prophecy, the great Colossus there, the book of Daniel. Uh, 
uh, with the four kingdoms, ending with a great kingdom that is not like all the other specifically defined beasts uh, in the chapter. And what I find interesting is that just a year ago, a sculpture came out that is placed at the United Nations in New York that incorporates, shall we say, the visual implications of all four beasts of the book of Daniel. Have you seen that sculpture? I have, I have, and I think there are some uncanny similarities with with these beasts in, in Revelation. And so well, obviously, there was, a, there was a sense of doing that, I think. And uh, whether it was a, a good and accurate interpretation is not the point. The point is, that's what was being represented. The problem is that the final great beast, the fourth beast, as you say in your book, is not a particular animal, but was described as dreadful, terrible, and exceedingly strong. And most interpret that as being the Roman Empire. We'll talk more about that when we get back for the break, friends. Stay tuned. You're listening to Viewpoint. The book, Jesus, the Jews, and the End of the Age, $26. We'll put this brand new hardback book in your hands. I really think you will miss it if you don't get it. It's on our website, saveus.org. We'll be right back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. I just wish that we had more time to talk with our friend, uh, Dr. Brock Hollett, here today concerning his book, Jesus, the Jews, and the End of the Age. By the way, you can also give us a call on that, uh, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. By the way... As I promised you at the beginning of the program, there are a couple of other things that have come to our attention this very day concerning what's happening in Israel. And uh, for the Jerusalem Post came this particular headline, Barkat, uh, against Israel's nuclear plan, saying nobody in Iran should sleep well. It was during the Jerusalem Post annual conference in New York that the economy minister, Nur Barkat, Uh, address reports that Iran may be moving toward possession of nuclear weaponry. He said, it's very clear, we will never, never allow the Iranians to have nuclear power. The Iranians should be deeply concerned because if they come close to that threshold, they must realize that nobody in Iran should sleep well at night because we will never allow that to happen. They should be really, really concerned, he warned. Well, that's very interesting because Iran... 
formerly known as Persia until 1934, is one of those nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39, which uh, should cause our heads to jerk a little bit. We don't have time to get into the details of that today, but we've talked about that many times here on Viewpoint. The other article is called Abbas Risable Temple Denial is No Laughing Matter. So here's the deal. Mahmoud Abbas, in his notorious speech at the U.N. on May 15th, 2023, among other abhorrent remarks, denied there was no proof of a Jewish link to the Temple Mount. We don't have to go into greater lengths. It's a very lengthy article to show how utterly ridiculous the claim is, but that's what he's choosing to believe that's what he's choosing to uh, declare so as to keep the Jewish people from the Temple Mount, which is the place where God says he chose to place his name there. In fact, if you will read the book of Psalms, chapter 2, you will find that God says, I have set my king upon my holy hill. So why is it that you nations are raging and conducting yourselves against my anointed. Well, all that having been said, we go back with our guest, uh, Brock Hollett, and we're talking about this uh, great beast, Colossus, there in the book of Daniel. We don't want to spend all our time there, but uh, there are those who say, well, you know, maybe it's not the Roman Empire, and yet that was the final empire that was ruling at the time of Christ, and uh, we see that the, the Roman Empire never totally disappeared. It just dissipated into what we have seen as the Western world. Uh, Europe is Roman, Romance languages, uh, architecture, and so on. The same is true with America. Uh, so we have the Western world that actually has often been called the Greco-Western world. So it's an amalgamation of ancient Greece and Rome and uh, perhaps also of Persia and going back. Uh, What do you think about that? There's no question in my mind that the final beast is a composite beast. You Mm -hmm. know, Daniel received a vision of things that are coming. And, you know, the Apostle John had a similar vision, although not identical, where he saw the composite nature of the final beast, right? So he saw a different angle of the same final entity that Daniel saw. So whereas Daniel, for example, and like you mentioned in chapter uh, 7, has the fourth beast, you know, with... Um, you know, with the ten horns mm-hmm. and presumably Rome, and almost all the commentators agree with that. Uh, in chapter eight, he sees the little horn not coming out of Rome, but coming out of what appears to be Greece, which is fascinating. But when we get to John's uh, revelation at the end of the Bible in chapter thirteen, you know, we see the final beast emerging from the sea, just like Daniel did. Mm-hmm. But here we see a blending together of all the previous beasts into one. Mm-hmm. So he sees seven heads and ten horns, which is fascinating, and he. Sees, you know, the the seven hills on which the woman sits, and all that in chapter seventeen. You well, know? there is a there is a Rome that does sit on seven hills. Uh, that is the Rome out of which the Roman Empire initially uh, came, and upon which a religious empire came called the Roman Catholic Church. 
Yeah, so there there are uh, you know different views on this. Of course, the reformers held to that view. So you'll see you know Luther and Calvin and and many of the the reformers of the Protestant traditions will talk about you know the Roman papacy. And there's something to be said there for sure because um, when you have popes who are contradicting the great um, you know especially the later popes are contradicting what the historic Christian Church has taught, what the apostles taught. Um, you have them claiming sole authority over the other bishops of the church and this type of thing. I mean, you, you have new doctrines, doctrinal developments and so forth, um, sometimes even denying some of the essential doctrines of the Christian Well, that's faith. true, and you also have the last three popes who have called for a new world government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in, in my opinion, although I don't I don't think that the, the the Pope will be an Antichrist, he is or the Antichrist I should say, there certainly is yeah. evidence that there are many who have been antichrists in in nature, and that's very concerning. Yeah, me. I don't and, con- I don't necessarily agree that he would be the Antichrist, but I think uh, as we see in the book of Revelation chapter seventeen, the great beast empire is going to require a religious component in order to gain, shall we say, authority, acceptability in the world, and uh, the religious authority uh, that reigns over the earth uh, most predominantly now is the uh, Roman Catholic Church via the Vatican. Yeah, and so I think I think that when we see this composite picture, we have to say that you know Rome will not be divorced from that. It, you know, Rome is a right. big part of the final composite beast. So, I mean, we see efforts right now by the current pope, by, by you know Pope Francis, to unite uh, in one world. You know, sort of all the uh, religions of the world. That's right. Yeah, which is very much the Antichrist spirit, from what I what I'm reading mm-hmm. in Daniel and elsewhere. So, yeah. no question, he will have he will play a role. I think, uh, almost certainly, I would say, in the final beast empire. No question. You know, as I look through the pages of your book, Brock, I, I, it, it uh, distresses me that you and I don't have five hours to talk. Yeah. <laughs> really, <laughs> uh, you've done such a masterful, masterful job in going through these various issues without. Uh, becoming, shall we say, obnoxious, pridefully obnoxious in uh, declaring this is that and uh, thus saith the Lord in this particular issue. You haven't done that. Uh, You've been very careful about how uh, you have written here, but not so careful as to not get down and deal with uh, the the issues that are troubling us all. Now, one of the things that... uh, Uh, I think is so critically important is the issue of the unprecedented or the abomination of desolation that Jesus talked about in the Olivet Discourse. And uh, in in reality, the prophet Daniel talked about it. In fact, Jesus referred to the prophet Daniel. Uh, What is this abomination of desolation? And then let's frame that in the context of what is called tribulation. The abomination of desolation, of course, is a phrase that Jesus used in the Olivet Discourse, right, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, And it really harkens back to a series of statements that the prophet Daniel made. He made four distinct statements in three different visions of the book of Daniel regarding this event or this uh, idol, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we also see it in uh, the New Testament as well, in 2 Thessalonians 2 and Revelation uh, 
13 and kind of alluded to in chapter 11 as well. And so we do see it, you know, that we have multiple witnesses. So we've got Daniel, we've got the Apostle John, we've got the Apostle uh, Paul, and then we have our Lord as well uh, right. while he was in, in, on the earth. And so we have, um, Jesus says, when you see the abomination, he uses the definite article there, right. and he says, spoken of by the prophet Daniel. And he says, let the reader understand. And it isn't, um, well, basically Jesus is sending us back to Daniel and saying, if you really want to understand what this is, go back to Daniel and read. So we should do that. And when we go back to Daniel and we see how Daniel Daniel uses all of his prophecies, all of his end-time prophecies end at the day of the Lord. They end with the time of the resurrection. They end with the time of the destruction of the final Antichrist. They Mm -hmm. end with the final consummation of God's kingdom and so forth. And so they all end in the same place. They begin in different places. But the point is, is they have overlapping um, Im- um, ideas. And, and one of them is the abomination of desolation. All right. And, uh, yeah. and that is what? So it's basically an idol that the final Antichrist will have set up in the Jerusalem temple uh, before the final return of Christ. Which means there has to be a temple for that to be set up. That's correct. Which means something is going to have to facilitate the rebuilding of a temple contrary to the extreme rantings of Mahmoud Abbas that we just talked about a few minutes ago. Yeah, so I think the New World Order, you know, is pushing for a, like we talked about earlier with regard to the papacy, you know, they're pushing for this um, conglomeration of religions into sort of a meshwork world religion so that they can, you know, force a world peace, essentially, and what they see mm-hmm. as a grander vision of the future. Of course, that's contrary to the gospel, which says there's only one way and that we all need to, you know, hop on board with Christ. But when you look at the, um, you know, the idea of a temple and all this, it may be a a capitulation. I'm reading between the lines. This isn't chapter and verse, but there mm-hmm. may be a capitulation to this new world order, at least initially, to allow the Jews to worship the way they will, and to allow the Muslims to still worship on Temple Mount as well, and maybe even Christians and others to co- to go there. And uh, of course, this um, this is not something acceptable to the final Antichrist, who will then hijack that whole system unto himself through uh, demonic signs and wonders. And then, of course, um, the world is in a state of terror until Christ returns. Of course, as Christians, we are to endure persecution, and we are to, you know, to hopefully seek seek the return of Christ. And so we should not be afraid of these things, but they are terrifying to think about. You know? Well, they are. The implications, we'll talk about that when we get back from this break. And friends, we're just barely able to scratch even the bare surface of uh, what Brock has discussed in his book today. You're not going to want to miss this book, Jesus, the Jews, at the End of the Age. It's on our website, saveus.org. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. 
but the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. In the late 1980s, only 16% of the people in Israel believed or looked for the coming of Messiah. Today, that figure is 60 plus percent. They believe that we are in what is called the Messianic Age. Whether they actually believe in a Messiah, as Christians do, or whether they believe in some other version They do believe in a messianic age of world peace and tranquility. That's how they look at Messiah. So, that being the case, they are set up. They are preconceived. They have preconceived notions for something, somebody, some situation to arise that will help facilitate what they envision as the fulfillment of of who they are as Jewish people. And there's only one thing that ultimately will do that, and that's the rebuilding of the temple. That is the sine qua non, that is the ultimate identification factor for the Jewish people. Yes, the recovery of Jerusalem was critically important. Yes, the rebirth of Israel was critically important. But the temple, that's consummate. So, If that be the case, and somebody comes along, or some group, or some power comes along and says, hey, you know, we're ready to do it, we're going to rebuild the temple, we're going to help you do it, what do you think that's going to do to the Jewish mind and heart? Brock? Well, that's a fantastic question, and I I think that uh, the clear answer to that would simply be that many Jews will persist especially Orthodox Jews, will consider this the mess, not only the Messianic period, but a, a period of unprecedented peace and security. And you that know, the person who facilitates this may very well be their anticipated Messiah. Hmm? Well, I mean, certainly there are many players, you know, in this in this grand piece, and I think they will implicitly be trusting in the Antichrist, even if they don't look at him as Messiah, which I don't think they will, but I think they'll see him as a anointed figure, certainly, until he becomes, you know, the greatest, uh, the greatest villain that they have ever seen. Which actually will lead them into something that uh, you discuss in your book, Isaiah 28 talks about it, uh, a, an amazing covenant that they will enter into for a period of, what, seven years? Uh, that yeah, they, they think the, is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. That's correct, yeah. And, of course, you know, they may see it as going on indefinitely, but we know it will last seven years because the Lord will return right. at the end. And in the middle of that, you know, we, we know that it will become, they will recognize that it was a mere delusion because they were trusting in the arm of flesh, mm-hmm. and they will see what that really is, which is trusting in Satan. So they'll begin to see, you know, that all their hopes and dreams in this temple and in the restoration of the Mosaic Covenant is really an illusion, and their power will be brought to an end. We see in Deuteronomy and Daniel and Isaiah and so forth. Exactly. And of course, that will lead them to the arms of Christ, which is what we're hoping for. Well, and in the meantime, that uh, hope, that dream, that expectation will be crushed by something called the abomination of desolation. 
And uh, that will open up the floodgates to a whole new arena of world history called what Jesus called the Great Tribulation, won't it? Yeah, amen. I mean, when Moses went up in the holy mountain into the clouds, he ascended up, and then later he descended. But when he came back, the people weren't expecting his return. They had given up on him, thinking he was dead. Mm -hmm. And when they came back, they were worshiping the golden calf. Isn't that interesting? It really is. It's typological, because there will be, although they won't be worshiping the abomination when he returns, very few will have the luxury to even consider following the beast at that point, if they're Jewish. But they will certainly have a golden idol in their midst, and that is the great abomination that uh, Satan will establish in in their temple. Absolutely. So when people say, Bill Clinton used to say, well, it's the economy, stupid. Now the World Economic Forum has taken that to a whole new level uh, that has uh, called for the new global world order, and it's all about money. It's all about money and all about power. And uh, so that is like that uh, golden calf Uh, that you spoke about. But then we have this interesting situation where so many people call, uh, talk about something called the tribulation. The reality is there is nothing in the Bible called the tribulation except one thing. And that's Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24, the great tribulation. And that doesn't occur until after the abomination of desolation is revealed. Right. So that triggers the beginning of this final 42 months of great tribulation, unprecedented tribulation. Yeah, and so, you know, the Lord in his providence will allow Satan to have full reign um, in in much of the world and over many hearts um, by... Uh, controlling the money supply, we see the mark of the beast, and um, you know, in Revelation 13, and also by, uh, you know, controlling the power structures of this world and so forth. So the power and the money and all the things that people rely on naturally are going to be pulled out from under them, so that they either follow the beast and worship this uh, this man, or uh, to trust in Christ, who, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world. And that so, does, that yeah. doesn't mean that just because you made a confession at some time that your name is written there, because the Bible also talks about people being blotted out of the book. Yeah, I mean, many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not done these wonderful, mighty miracles in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness. So that's uh, a link, the language he uses for the Antichrist, lawlessness, right? It sure so, is. And the interesting thing is, you were talking about money, you were talking about uh, this golden calf. And when you go to Revelation 13 and 14, where it does talk about this mark of the beast, the infamous mark of the beast, it's all about money. It's all about the economy and your ability to conduct business. And uh, that will be the ultimate control. Uh, this is far beyond uh, cancel culture. This is canceling your life. Yeah, and I think we're seeing the fruits of that already blossoming, you know, with, uh, you know, the natural, you know, sort of inevitable uh, progress, if you will, quote unquote, of technology with, you know, going cashless and, and which essentially gives more control to the governments of this world, right? In preparation for the use by the beast of this whole system. I mean, money itself's not evil, but putting our hope in the riches of mammon and the things no. of this world, uh, instead of seeing it as God's money and being a steward, a slave steward, over those things is a big idol in this culture big all right so here's the big question 
And this is the thing that always disturbs people because uh, starting in the late 1800s and merging into the early 1900s with a, uh, a, shall we say, a Bible that had all kinds of notes in it. A lawyer put this book together called uh, Schofield, and uh, in that Bible called the Schofield Reference Bible, he began to talk about something called a pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, before problems come up. Well, let me ask you a question, just a simple question. Answer it very simply, and then we go from there. Brock, are we having problems, great problems, threats in our world today? Yes. Yes or no? Yes. Okay, so we are. So we are in a period of increasing tribulation, then, are we not? Yes. Okay. The question is, how great will that tribulation be? Now, here's the interesting thing. Have you ever read the book, uh, A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens? Yes. Okay. That book regales for us the incredible uh, environment and what developed in the French Revolution, which I believe is a type, a historical type, of the Tribulation period, that last seven-year period. We'll call it the Tribulation period without calling it the, the Tribulation, because it's not called the Tribulation. In the first half of the French Revolution, things began to get very difficult, very trying for the people. There were uprisings, uh, threats, and, uh, uh, say, wars and rumors of wars within within France. And uh, people's lives were at stake. It was a very trying, a very difficult time, and there were attacks upon leadership and so on, causing Madame Guillotine to be developed by a doctor called Dr. Guillotine. It was supposed to be a painless uh, resolution to uh, rulership problems in France. And so heads began to roll. But then the ante was increased. In fact, it was increased so dramatically that there was almost nobody that was safe. That began to be called the Great Terror. First was the terror, and then a few years later came the Great Terror. It seems to me that what happened there is very similar, analogous to uh, the end times. There's going to be a period, it seems, of growing difficulties, trials, tribulations uh, that people want to call the tribulation. It's a seven-year period. But then comes a period that Jesus calls the great tribulation. When the abomination of desolation appears in the temple and all hell breaks loose on this planet. What do you think of that description? I think it's adequate because, I mean, we see historical types like with the French Revolution. We see with Adolf Hitler and his, you know, reign of terror. We see a lot of these, you know, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Mm -hmm. And I would suggest that part of the reason for that is a lot of the players are the same, right? We've got heavenly uh, beings, angels Mm -hmm. and demons, if you will, who use the same type of... uh, you know, stratagem that they've used for um, eons, right, since the beginning. And so we see this historical repetition of prophetic events. 
um, in an anticipatory sense of what's going to happen at the end. So, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a lot of overlap with, like, the French Revolution. And with the abomination uh, that's future, you know, that is definitely when the tribulation, the birth pains reach a crescendo, unlike which the world has ever seen nor ever will, as Jesus said. And so with the Bible, the Apostle Paul warns about a great falling away or apostasy. That means people who once claim to be following the Lord are no longer following the Lord because of the pressures that are put on them. And the word tribulation actually comes from the Greek word thipsis, which means pressure. So uh, the pressures are going to increase. So I have a question for you. Being the father of four daughters uh, who are raging from six to 20, what are you doing to prepare your daughters and your wife to endure the pressures that are building right before your eyes. Yeah, I mean, I think the number one thing is bathing them in prayer, you know, and 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 blessing them, you know, laying my hands on them and praying for them, uh, even anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, asking God's blessing upon them, um, and and warning them of the things that are coming. Are and, you warning and, them of the things that are coming? Yes. All right, because yeah. most people are not. They're afraid to do that. They don't even know themselves. They refuse to admit it. They think we're out of here before any trouble happens. And so they're not preparing the way. Pastors are not preparing the way. And it seems to me uh, that we are being set up. The majority of professing Christians are being set up for a high drama at the OK Corral in which they are going to fall. Yeah, I mean, it's a strong delusion that it says the, the Lord will send them strong delusion to ratify their own desires for depravity, right? So it's a judgment upon the world, but Jesus said, be careful, because this time is coming like a trap, and it will come on the whole world. So he tells us to be prepared now. Don't wait until those things happen, because it'll be too late. It'll Isn't be like it interesting that about half of Jesus' parables are all designed to prepare people to be aware and to be ready to be prepared for these times? It's amazing. Brock, you've done such a great job with your book, and we've only covered things through page 40. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) All right. Friends, i got to tell you, this is a great, great book that's going to be very helpful to you to understand. Uh, Brock is reasoning uh, through so many of these things that others refuse to deal with. Jesus, the Jews, and the end of the age, what the Bible predicts about the end times. It's a brand-new hardback book. $26, we'll put it in your hands. It's 350 pages or so. You're not going to be disappointed. Go to our website, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us at $5 for postage and handling. And seriously, consider becoming a partner, friends. Really, God is trusting you. We're trusting you. We have no commercial support for this program. Help us in this day and age to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 